Jesus, thank you so much for this place and this time and this opportunity to quiet ourselves and come before you, to listen, to draw near, to rejoice with you, to cry with you, to be with one another. We bless you, God, for this opportunity and for the gift it is to have this time and this place and this space in our week to draw close. We pray that you would give us ears that hear, eyes that see, and a heart that is moved and drawn closer to you. We ask all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, we are continuing our study of the Gospel of John, and we are in John chapter 15. And so let's just jump on in. Yes, you're all ready? We're still in this farewell discourse. Jesus has lots of things to say. He's monologuing a lot, um, which is beautiful, because I think one of the things we haven't thought about is, well, what would you say to the people you are most close to and have invested most of your life into when you knew that you only had maybe even a few hours left to live? And these are the things that Jesus chooses to tell his disciples, knowing, sensing what is about to come. He says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You've already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches." Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I know it's a lot. Hold on. It's, it's hard to cut him off. It's hard to cut Jesus off. Let's keep listening. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. I'm giving you these commands so that you may love one another. It goes on. You should go and read, but we will cut Jesus off there. Um, And we will then talk. This title of our sermon this afternoon is He is the Vine. So this is one of those I am statements that we've talked about throughout the Gospel of John. You know, there's primarily seven I am statements. We've highlighted them as we've gone through. And here we are with I am the true vine. But we did I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection life. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this kind of is our last big I am statement with this beautiful metaphor here. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, what is going through everyone's scripture-soaked minds? 
Okay, he's speaking to disciples who have it memorized, who've been listening to him, who live in a land where there's a lot of vineyards. And he's speaking to people when it's written down, the gospels are written down and then given and handed down. They were initially held, transcribed, written down by people who knew scripture very well and who also lived in land where this made sense. Now, you all live not too far from Sonoma County, Napa County, maybe Santa Cruz Hills. Maybe you've even been to a winery at one time or another. Maybe you've gone to like Piketty Winery ostensibly to take a hike, but you've seen as you've gone for the hike that there's this really beautiful old barn, an old winery that's been able to stay open because they, they made you know, wine for the churches during Prohibition and all of that during that time. So what goes through scripture-soaked minds and people who are familiar with wineries and vineyards, what goes through someone's mind when they hear Jesus say, I am the true vine? So let's talk about vines and vineyards in the Bible and its times and lands. Now, the grapevine is mentioned more than any other plant in the Bible. So if you are starting to have anything pop in your head from that scripture-soaked mind, as people are listening to Jesus, when he says, I'm the vine, that Rolodex of text, you know, just the word search concordance that we all do online, they could do in their head, right? And so that Rolodex of, okay, let's think of all the times when God talks about vine or vineyard or any of that. That is a long list. And so just very quickly, we could talk about how really the first time a vine is mentioned in the Bible. Anybody know? It's in Genesis. Good job, Genesis. What's happening in Genesis. It's not in the garden, which is interesting because figs are mentioned in the garden. Anybody else? Somebody plants a vine. Noah. Noah. Yeah, exactly. A call out from the pastor crew and everything. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, thanks, pastor. Um, Noah is the first person to plant a vine and then promptly get drunk. Okay, um, and so Noah does that very quickly, and then something sketchy happens right away. You you can go and read it. It's after. Um, the destruction or the giant flood, like everything's terrible and you can go read all about this, but Noah's the first one. So we have vines talked about all the way from the time of Noah and with the conversation about wine surrounding it. Um, the next time actually wine is used is also like a, if you drink wine equals naked and ashamed situation um, with Lot and his daughters. So there you go. Those are the first occurrences of planting a vine. Let's keep going. All right. When we keep going in, though, um, we see that in Deuteronomy chapter 8, for example, um, when God is giving the land to his people, God says, observe the commandments of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him, revering him, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and the hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce, where you will lack nothing, a land where the rock are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Um, by the way, this is a very apt description of the land, actually. It's really incredibly true. Um, but this is where we see that God has provided or promised God's people seven species or varieties of which the vine is one. These are symbols of God's provision and God's blessing in the land. Like, you want to go there. Do you guys remember what happens when the spies go into the land and they go and scout the land to see if the Israelites can go in and take it? They come back, ten of them come back saying, we can't do it. We're like grasshoppers. But two of them come back and they're like, we can do it. But they're carrying something. Everybody, do you remember? 
grapes so big and heavy. It's like on a big stick, but like, but look, yes, there's people there, but look at the grapes, right? I mean, so it's like a really good thing. And actually today in modern Israel, the, the tourism uh, insignia symbol is two people holding a stick with a bunch of grapes underneath it. So, cause you know, that's the first tourism to, to the first, the spies were the first ones to head on out and explore the land. Um, the grapevine and the vine is a symbol of prosperity and blessing and security. In Micah 4.4, 4, it says that everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, right? That you have security. And this is a blessing that comes often. They sat under their own vine and their fig tree, their own vine and their fig tree. That means that you can plant and you can be in one place. And you have all the things necessary to plant. You have good soil. You have water that is being provided, and you have security. You're not worried about people coming and taking it from you and having to run away. Now, also then, in scripture-soaked minds and in this idea of grape and vine, we have so many places in the text where it's talked about, but here's one. Hosea chapter 14, verses 6 through 7, Israel's shoot, Israel shoot shall spread out His beauty shall be like the olive tree and its fragrance like that of Lebanon. They shall again live beneath my shadow. They shall flourish as a garden. They shall blossom like the vine and their fragrance shall be like the wine of Lebanon. So again, this picture of like as Israel has been this vine in Psalm 80, it says that Israel is a vine that God pulled up out of Egypt and brought into this land. Um, We have this picture of Israel being the vine and also echoes of the garden, right? Echoes of going back to Eden Echoes of things being right again when you get to sit on your own vine and fig tree. So we see that Israel is that vine. We have a really powerful passage in Isaiah. And I just want to let you know, when I was searching all these verses, I'm going to show you a lot, but I actually left a lot out. So I just want you to appreciate my discipline. Thank you. Because there's so many that you could look at. Um, And I heard a terrible joke a long time ago, and I'm trying to figure out if I should tell it, but I'm going to tell it to you, okay? Okay. I feel like a mosquito, let's say, not in the news, let's say, um, at a camping trip. I'm really excited about everything, but I don't know where to begin. Okay, so it's just like, there's like, no, not a good joke. I know it's terrible. All right. Uh, Israel is a vine. We have so much to talk about. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 5. Jesus references this passage very specifically in the book of Matthew, which I just am encouraging you to go and look up. In Isaiah chapter 5, it says this, I will sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it out of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it, and he expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded rotten grapes. Now, just before, we're going to move on to the text, but just note really quick. It's a vineyard. It's a fertile hill. There's a digging and planting. There's a clearing of stones, planting with choice. There's a watchtower, and there's a wine vat there. So all of this stuff described to you is really fantastic ethnographic evidence and literary historical evidence of how vineyard and vine making happened way back then. Now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard, God says through Isaiah. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield rotten grapes? And now I'll tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I'm going to remove its hedge. It shall be devoured. I will break down its wall. It shall be trampled. I will make it a wasteland. It won't be pruned or hoed. It'll be overgrown with briars and thorns. And I will command the clouds that they don't rain on it anymore. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the people of Judah are his cherished garden. 
And God expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. And Isaiah here is doing this really beautiful thing. I'm just going to let you know when you say expected justice, mishpat. But he saw mishpach, bloodshed. He expected tzedakah, righteousness, but he found za'aka, a cry out. Mishpat, mishpach, tzedakah, za'aka. So this is maybe one of the frameworks that was going through the minds of people as Jesus started to say things like, I am the vine. Vineyards, watchtowers, pruning, and harvest are all shared in that passage. And here's some pictures that were taken in the 1800s. Here's a watchtower that's built in the vineyards. It's roofed with branches that they would have had sort of like a shade but still some air coming through. And the family would live there during the entire tending and the harvest. And that passage we just had in Isaiah tells us that this is what God is doing with Israel. That Israel is God's vineyard, God's vine, and that God has built a watchtower and has been tending over it and taking good care of it, just like this family. Um, Vineyards were surrounded and still are, surrounded by stone walls with thorn bushes laid on top of the walls, keeping out animals and thieves. Those are serious thorns. You definitely want to avoid those. And pruning, did you know, is good. When God says, I'm not going to prune my vineyard anymore, that's as a result of their disobedience, right? So here's a gentleman pruning in his vine, in his vineyard out there. And the work in the vineyards consists of hoeing, breaking up the ground several times after the rains, and pruning the vines. No tree requires such constant and severe pruning as the vine. The vineyards are cut back not far from the stump every year as soon as the harvest is over. It takes a lot of attention. You don't get to just leave the vine to go crazy. You have to actually have a vineyard grower keeper there. Now notice that the wine vat is on site. The grapes are not carried. They are kept there on site. And wine presses have been found throughout ancient Israel, dating back from the Bronze Age all the way to the Byzantine period. And when you find those wine presses, you find that they're made of two vats on the slope of a hill, one hewn above the other, and they're out of the solid rock. They would look for a place where there's natural um, Sinonian limestone just there that they could kind of carve that out. And the grapes are put in the press, trampled down, and then the juice would stream down into the lower vat. The grapes aren't carried, they stay there, and they're threshed out there. And typically, this was done with great rejoicing. Women coming together and trampling out the vineyard and seeing the, with joy this grape juice to flow down through these vats. So the wines represent Israel in our Bible. They represent blessing that the vines do. They represent gardens, peace, joy, prosperity, fruitfulness, love, and rewards for obedience. Even as I was searching all of these verses, I um, discovered that in Song of Songs, remember the, the story, we, maybe the song you guys sang growing up, like, he brought me to his banqueting table, his banner over me is love. Yeah, so I found out that word is not banqueting table, it's the house of wine. It doesn't say anything about a table or a banquet, yeah. So imagine as children, he brought me to his house of wine, his banner. I, think, see, I see why they changed it. Um, his banner was, but this is um, actually like a sign of blessing and of love and prosperity and, and beautiful, beautiful gifts. 
Now, we all know that there's other verses in the Bible that also say don't drink too much wine, like they were drunkards or slanderers. They did terrible things. We already talked about Noah and also Lot's daughter. And we heard a long time ago from a friend of ours that he's, he lives in the land that wine is a blessing and it's like a fire in your fireplace. In its right place, it can be joyful and warm and beautiful and loving, but if it leaves the fireplace, it can burn your house down. That was a very apt analogy, right? That, that this blessing that God gives is beautiful and wonderful, but has to be kept in its place and time. So now let's look back at this verse then. It says, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. Given some of your knowledge now that you're all experts on vineyard keeping in the land. Yeah, you all got it. Um, Jesus then shows up in the middle and says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine grower. What's he immediately saying? I am Israel. I've been telling and retelling Israel's story through myself this whole time, and I am this story, and my father is the one who's been tending me, and this is where I belong. This is how I'm continuing to do what Israel couldn't do for herself. Jesus is doing for us. That is what is in picture here. When he says, I am the vine, he's saying, I am Israel. I'm part of this story, right? And then Jesus continues on. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. And this is the part that keeps a lot of us up at night, right? If we were raised in any evangelical or just fundamentalist or shame-based culture, we're like immediately like, oh no, Jesus has just told me that if I'm not bearing fruit, that he's going to remove me. And what if I'm trying really, really hard and I can't figure this out? Well, let's look at this verse a little more closely. Let's ask the question, is he going to remove us or lift us up? Is he going to cut us off or lift us up? The word most often translated as cut or take away is translated everywhere else. So in that verse, it's always cut, take away, removed, right? But everywhere else in the New Testament, it's translated as pick up, lift up, or take up. It's the word arrow, like aeroplane. So remove is a really bad translation. I know, aren't you upset right now? I've lived with a lot of shame and fear my whole life, and it turns out that Jesus is not going to remove me. He will lift up every branch in me that bears no fruit. That's the translation in the Greek. Yeah? I am the true vine. My father is the vine grower, and he lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit. Doesn't that sound more in concert with the character and the knowledge that we have of who Jesus is? And how if we're trying and we're connected to him and we're trying to bear fruit, but it's really, really hard that he'll lift us up. This is the example of actually how you take care of a vine. He's not making something up just theologically that sounds really nice and pretty. When you have a branch that's not doing well, you lift it up. That's why we have trellised hillsides now. And in the ancient Near Eastern time, they actually would lift up a branch out of the muck, out of the dirt, and get it into the sun. They would prop up vines with rocks in order that those branches would be lifted up into the sun and be able to then produce fruit. So Jesus does not cut us off if we're not bearing fruit. He lifts us up. That's the best translation there. We are lifted up into the sun. And perhaps we are also lifted up into the sun. S-O-N, yeah? Good Bible humor. Okay. Um, Every branch, Jesus continues on, that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. So if you're not bearing fruit and you're sticking with the vine and you're not bearing fruit, he lifts you up so you can do so. And if you're bearing fruit, he'll prune us 
so that we can do more. He's like, ooh, that's good. I want more of what you're doing in this world. How can I help you get there? Now, immediately you're like, but I don't like the pruning. Fair enough, but don't you like being fruitful? Don't you like being good for something? And isn't it good to know how to do better when we're trying so hard anyway? Jesus continues, Abide in me as I abide in you, and just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. The other good news here is it's not up to you and you alone to just be some sad little branch or me alone on a vine sitting out and just going, I hope today I make some grapes. You are connected to the vine. He's the vine. The father is the one who tends the vine. You're just a branch, kids. It's okay. It's up to them to prune us and to shape us up to Jesus to do so. And that's okay. And when we're cut off from that, we can't bear fruit. So this last week, we had to move a vine that was, had, I nicely trellised it, and I was really excited about it, up onto my thing, and I went outside, I was like, oh, Kevin had to do a, a very good home repair project. I was like, was it necessary to cut all the trellised vines up the top from the bottom? Because I know exactly what's going to happen, right? Those are all going to turn brown. They're not going to make it. It was necessary. He did a good job, but I was still a little bit sad about it. But we're branches that we can't bear fruit if we're disconnected from that vine. But if we're connected from it, that is the power by which we continue to bear fruit. And what happens if we bear fruit? We're pruned, we're shaped so we can bear more. Pruning is caring. Remember what Isaiah 5 said. When, when God's so mad at Israel, he says, okay, then I'm removing its hedge. The vineyard will be devoured. I'm going to break down its wall. It'll be trampled down. I'll make it away. I'm not going to prune it and I'm not going to hoe it. And that's seen as a punishment. Pruning is not a punishment. Pruning is the way that God cares for us and cares for us. And isn't that how any, if you, anybody has small children or young children or anybody you've been responsible for as a teacher or a mentor or, or even a coworker, that part of the process of helping them become the best they can be is that pruning process. And this is what Jesus says that he'll do with us. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers, and such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, here's where we're like, oh, see, I knew that hell was coming, and I, w- I was right to be afraid of this passage. So this is what Jesus is talking about, right? What happens if we cut ourselves off from Jesus? We're not part of that vine anymore. And what happens? Well, we, when we lose our connection to Jesus, we lose our connection to life. That's what happens to all those branches that might still look a little bit green on my fence but are dying right now. They've lost their connection to life. And what do you do when something is dead? What do you do with those kind of branches? Well, Ezekiel tells us, and this seems to be actually something at least that Jesus might be grabbing hold of, this other scripture-soaked mind passage, Ezekiel 15. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, how is the wood of a vine different from that of a branch of any of the trees in the forest? What's different about a vine as opposed to any other tree? Is wood ever taken from it to make anything useful? Have you guys ever held a dead grapevine branch? It just kind of falls apart in your hand. There's nothing you can do with it. 
Do they make pegs from it to hang things on? You can't even make a peg, people. That's what Ezekiel is saying. You can't even make a peg. And after it's thrown in the fire as fuel and the fire burns both ends and chars the middle, and is it then useful for anything? If it wasn't useful for anything when it was whole, how much less can it be made into something useful when the fire has burned it and it's charred? So that seems to be the connection that Jesus is talking about. I'm not saying he is or he is not talking about the fiery pit of hell. I'm just saying what he is saying This was how vines and branches that came off vines were treated. And this is what Ezekiel says. They're just not good for anything anymore when they're disconnected from their life source. And you can't even reuse the wood for any purpose. That's all. We don't have to go all the way to like, you know, everlasting damnation. We can just go uh, to this is an environmental conversation. When we keep our connection to Jesus, we keep our connection to love, to belonging, to our home, and then we get to keep bearing fruit. Jesus continues, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. My father's glorified this by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. And you guys remember, we've been talking about this for a few weeks. As the father's loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Make your home in Christ's love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I've said these things that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Kevin years ago gave this fantastic message called uh, Shema or Die, which means like hear and listen, kind of obey or die. And it's not so much that God is saying, listen, you disobeyed my commandments, and so therefore you don't get to live with me anymore, and I'm going to kick you out of my love. It's just that, and this was Kevin's point, when you lie to somebody, something dies between you and that person. Trust dies. When you're cruel to somebody, something dies between you. So when you do these things outside of God's, God's way, the way of Jesus, outside of the fruit of the Spirit, peaceful, gentleness, kindness, self-control, love, above all things, love, right? And all of that. When we do things outside of that, people get hurt. And you can't abide in the love of Christ in that same way. So when we're feeling stuck in the muck, here's what we want to let you guys all know. Ready? When we're feeling stuck in the muck, and when there's little daylight, I want you to know that in this passage, Jesus is telling us that he will lift us up. Isn't that good news? If you're stuck in the muck, things are hard, and you can't find any sunlight, Jesus won't remove you. He will lift you up closer to the sun. And if we are bearing good fruit, Jesus will help us to do more of the same. And if love is really hard right now, if it's just incredibly difficult to feel loved, to love somebody else, to show that love, Let's just lean in and abide in Christ. Jesus says this at the end of the passage. You did not choose me. I chose you. Jesus chose you and me. He's chosen us. He appointed us to do good works in the world, to bear fruit, and fruit that will last. So the Father will give you whatever you ask in his name, and he gives us these commands that we may love one another. When I read this passage, I think about how much Jesus grabs hold of this beautiful imagery, gives himself and the Father this beautiful picture of a vineyard and a vineyard grower and the vine, and then says to us, you know the thing that's talked about more often than any other plant in the scriptures? 
you get to be part of it too, and you get to be part of these branches, and you get to be part of this love that grows in this world. And those are hopeful, good things. Sparkers, I want you to know that you are loved. You are chosen. And all we have to do is simply abide in him. One of my favorite prayers that I used to pray hours and hours a day during very difficult times in my life, I would just go for a long walk and I would just breathe in and out, Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you. It's like 30 minutes, 40 minutes, Abba, I belong to you. It's also good when if you're running, just Abba, I belong to you. And that beautiful prayer just helped me to feel settled and anchored, chosen, loved, reminded me that I belonged and that I could abide with Christ and that Christ could make Christ's home with me. Taking this beautiful symbol of blessing and joy and hope, Jesus picked up the cup in that evening meal. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed, and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Friends, all are welcome at this table.